This is Rebecca Hartness. She is an archaeologist at the University of Arizona. She has just released the first chapter of her new graphic novel. Welcome aboard. Thank you. So tell us about yourself. Um, so as Ethan already said, I am an archaeologist. I've done work in um, Oman, Cyprus, but I mainly focus in the U.S. Southwest. Um, and I have been focusing on archaeology since my undergrad, um, which was entirely too long ago now. Um, <laughs> and I study mainly ceramics and pottery, uh, and I like looking at where people move and um, how, how like the movement changes and impacts networks people use. Um, yeah. And in my free time, one of the things I've been doing is working on a comic. <laughs> so <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, do you want to talk about the comic first or archaeology? Yeah. Sorry. We can talk about the comic first. Awesome. Um, yeah. Talk to us about this comic. Cause so I've read the first chapter and it was absolutely the art style and the the story, I, it drew me in. Tell us where this, tell us about it. Tell us where you got the inspiration. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so first of all, um, so I'm working on this comic with one of my really good friends. Um, her name's Megan. Uh, and so she's the one who does the art. Um, and then I do the writing. So the way that the story came around, um, I've actually like had this idea floating around for like three years. Um, and for people who haven't read it yet, uh, the premise of the comic is that there is a math professor who can see people's like inner demons. So um, like he has anxiety. So he has these little anxiety demons that like fly around. Um, he can see um, like if someone's consumed by like jealousy or depression. Um, that that's how the uh, comic gets started. You're introduced to this character. And um, he then sees on the bus uh, for like past week or so, someone who does not have an inner demon. And he has never seen someone who doesn't have an inner demon. So that uh, prompts, that then prompts him to try to figure out why. Um, and it goes from there. So kind of the way that I, I've had like the idea of someone who can see people's inner demons floating around for three years. Um, but it is definitely something that like I as a writer, like I didn't feel like I could get the right visuals through writing. And I really felt like it needed to be um, in comic form. Um, and if I'm remembering correctly, I came up with the idea when I was like on the subway in Tokyo, like, I don't know, like I'd always have a lot of ideas there cause you're just sitting there watching a bunch of other people sometimes like completely like crammed. And, um, it was just kind of like, you're looking at all these people and there's always, you know, something deeper, like another side to them. And, um, 
So I wrote it down and I drew some really bad like sketches of some of the demons in my notebook. And then um, my friend Megan and I started talking about doing an original comic. Um, she's done like a lot of fan art and stuff before. And um, we both thought it would, she was looking for someone who was kind of like on the same wavelength as her. And um, so we were like, well, let's try it. So um, that's how that happened. And we've been working on the comic for about a month. Like Ethan said, it just came out and we've gotten some really good feedback, which has been exciting. Um, I, for the last two weeks, I haven't been working on it a lot because I've been in the midst of finals. Um, but that's on the archaeology side of things. Um, okay, so yeah, we'll, we'll touch up on that later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah. what are prevalent themes in this comic? So prevalent themes are um, coping, like how people cope with their darker sides, whether people are coping, um, finding uh, friendship and love despite having uh, darker parts of you and finding people who understand you um, even with darker parts of you. Um, and uh, we, it's, it has some heavy themes um, like um, mental illness, but at the same time we try to keep it relatively um amusing and upbeat um so and like megan's art style is like very warm and like i don't know it kind of makes me feel happy and fuzzy inside so uh yeah we uh do our best to um really like convey those things um and something else that's like really important to us is uh our two main characters are people of color. Um, and we've been like, we, I'm not even sure if we really super intentionally at first did that. Um, it, I know that Megan was tired of drawing white people and that um, when she was doing character design, she was focusing in on trying to, um, you know branch out a bit more um so i don't know i think that's exciting and um yeah very cool so uh yeah that's a lot to unpack uh let's start with the inner demons so they manifest themselves in a very uh visual way and i mean what does that do to the character who can see everyone's like <laughs> basically mental <laughs> disabilities. Yeah. So um, one of the opening lines uh, for Cyrus is, um, he's the one who like, can see the inner demons, is um, I'd prefer not to have everyone's like shit broadcast across my retinas 24 seven. Um, so for him, uh, like a little background, like we had him figure out kind of young. Um, that he could see things other people didn't. So he can't actually talk to anyone about it. Um, he has one best friend who has yet to make an appearance um, that knows, but like he sees this thing that no one else can. And for the most part, because, you know, when he was, 
when he was younger, like being able to see these things that other people couldn't, um, he kind of learned to push that down um, and start ignoring the fact that he could see them. So like the way that he copes with it is um, he doesn't have a lot of close relationships and he doesn't, uh, he tries to like ignore that part of people um that he can see that's like it's really normal for him but he just tries to pretend it's not there but obviously he notices when it's not <laughs> that's it and it's very interesting because we just had a talk about hidden disabilities and mental illness and how we're coping with that as a society how are we coping with it right now yeah um poorly i would think um so i i actually do have a hidden disability um i've got executive functioning disorder and um that makes a lot of this like online stuff kind of difficult for me um because i try like when i'm learning i do a lot better when i'm around other people and i can like talk out what i'm learning um and right now that's just been difficult not to and then also like on the um mental health side like there's so many people right now who you know don't have support systems in place or they didn't have support systems in place before this happened um people who are alone right now who don't have a way to um to connect with people uh, people who are stuck where they are in abusive situations, um, like the the very fact that like we like us humans as social creatures, like we're social creatures, like we're meant to like get out and move and um, interact with others, and you know like the online aspect just doesn't cut it sometimes, so. Um, I think that, uh, like, I mean, right now, like, mental illness is still kind of taboo, but um, people have been discussing it at this time. So maybe one of the silver linings of this might be that people are more aware, you know, of mental illness. So, yeah, and that's interesting because someone was mentioning, yeah, we're all going to come out of this with some kind of a mental issue. Trauma. I yeah, mean, technically, trauma. right I mean, now, it's like, like, um, the world is in trauma. <laughs> like, like it, it's a traumatic situation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So how like, do we deal? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, 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 no. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. So how do we deal with that? And then how does, how does your comic deal with that? And how does it showcase that relationship? Um, so... That was a good question, Ethan. Let me think a second. <laughs> um, so, I mean, Megan and I started working on the comic, like the beginnings of it, even before this really started. So I guess just like the timing of it, um, like the timing of it was unintentional. It just kind of happened. Um, but I think that I think that the comic, because it does a good job displaying 
um where everybody has like those inner demons and those issues like I think it it helps to remind people that they're not the only one you know even if um someone doesn't have the exact same uh problem as you like there are other people who can understand very cool um so then the other one of the other one was looking at connection with each other and we look at that character who's kind of isolated himself from society um, and friends how does he you know break down those barriers and start to connect with other people and start to have those discussions um so through through the comic um he starts with these barriers up and it what starts making him want to break down his barriers even slightly is like trying to kind of figure out this mystery that um our other main character dominic is to him um he what he want he wants to like figure out like why this guy doesn't have a demon um and uh so because of that he starts seeking out um he starts seeking out dominic as a not as a friend but just as kind of an interest and then um their relationship starts growing through uh the episodes and um it all like him Cyrus like opening up kind of happens by accident almost with him. Um, yeah. Now you are the, oh, you're the fourth person today to have some sort of a prevalent connection with Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, talk to us about that. Does it take place in Japan? Um, what no. No, it does not. Um, so Megan and I met in Japan. Um, our nod to Japan is actually in our uh, name Thursday night coffee because Megan and I would meet on Thursday nights for coffee in Akihabara at the Starbucks in Akihabara <laughs> station. Um, so that's our that's our nod there. Um, but the comic itself takes place in. Uh, like on a US college campus. We don't specifically say what college campus, um, but Megan and I both went to Arizona State for our undergrad. So there's some architectural nods here and there. I think I noticed a one or two. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that's interesting. So you said, it, are they college students? No, no, um, we did not go the college student route. Um, so one character is a math professor. Um, and that's the character who can see demons. So um, we also kind of wanted like that contrast of uh, Cyrus having, you know, like being very analytical and very um, like things have answers focused. Um, and then Dom is the um, psychology special librarian. Um, so uh, the 
I don't want to give, I don't want to give too much away no for worries. like the next episode. Tell us what you can. <laughs> um, but like those kind of play into the way that they're brought together um, later on in, cool. in the comic. Um, and uh, also uh, in how the, they start to understand each other. So, yeah. So that's interesting because um, so Dom then works on a campus. Mm -hmm. So there are, are we still looking at that student aspect or is it really focusing on how grown-ups and adults are dealing with these issues? Um, it's mainly focusing on how like grown-ups are dealing with the issues. Um, the, there is a student character that like pops in, um, but we like the none of the main um main characters are students uh so it, it like megan and i are both at um like we're out of undergrad um and um we're more interested in seeing like older characters right. um which sometimes in comics i think is missing a bit um there's like a lot of focus on you know high school students and um college students um more like student level for comics when they're based in the real world um and not in a fantasy world so um yeah we went we went with older characters in this one and why do you think that is that we focus more on the younger characters versus the older characters and what do we have to learn from finally starting to tell stories in this format with the older characters so i think one of the things um that this is a pure guess like i am not uh this is not like my academic study um <laughs> But I think one of the things is that originally comics were, you know, considered like and still like, you know, broad societally in the US um, are considered to be like for younger audiences and younger people. And um, I think that people who are making the comics um, sometimes initially like start out their idea when they're around that age because, you know, like right away, you know um a lot of the time so i think that it might have something to do with the fact that like people like initially when they're working on ideas like they're younger um and they're trying to present that or you've got people trying to talk to like the younger audiences um but now comics is like you know starting to um expand and become more uh like broadly socially acceptable uh, for adults to read too. Um, I think like kind of with this generation and like the gen, little bit like generation above. Um, so, you know, I think that opens up doors Wait, to Wait, sorry, one second. Uh, gen, which generation are we talking about? Oh, um, I don't remember what generation I'm in. I think my generation is above your generation, Ethan. I think, are you, I think you're a millennial, right? 
Yes. Okay, cool. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. I was I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. So like audience. I'm a millennial and then um well actually let's just say millennials because the millennial spectrum, like when you're looking at it, is actually pretty broad. So like my siblings and I like we're all millennials and we've got like an age span of like eight years. Um so yeah. I think like kind of like with millennials, um, you've got like that like comic pop culture um, expanding uh, more. Very cool. And then, so talk to us about the art working with Megan. What was that like? So uh, the way that Megan and I work, um, like after we decided we wanted to make a comic um we made this huge list of ideas uh and we went with this one and combined it with kind of like a cute um i had like another idea about a librarian and someone and someone else you know like meeting in a library and interacting in the library so we kind of like conflated the demon idea and like the library idea um to, into what it is and from there um i started writing out the script for uh the first episode and we break it down kind of into scenes so like i'll have like a scene um they'll try to get through and each episode is comprised of <sighs> multiple scenes usually like three to five, um, depending on the episode, and then also how long the scene ends up taking. Um, and so I worked through the script. Megan had started doing, once we had the characters that we wanted down, Megan started doing some um, uh, character mock-ups. And um, like, I don't think we changed anything from her original drafts. Like they were pretty great immediately. Wow. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we just had, like, we gave them their names. I think we came up with names. Then she started doing the um, character designs. Um, and we kind of work back and forth. So like, I usually am working a couple weeks ahead of her um as far as script goes uh we i i usually come out with like the general outline um and i write it i write it out i write the interactions sometimes if i'm unsure of which way um i want to take something we talk to i talk to her about um which way uh she wants it to go if she's got an idea that um an idea for a part uh will work i uh, usually will try to like work it in or put it in um and then after we get the script pretty well ironed out then um she goes in and starts doing the um art part um yeah so i mean that has to be very exciting to see your story being represented every month in an, in this really fresh format yeah it's like? 
it's really exciting so um like so like megan and i do work really closely together so um i do consider it to be like our story um but it's so exciting to see it come to life in that way because like i i've never done um like visual like a visual art storytelling um before so um usually also when i'm writing if i see something happening a certain way um i'll put kind of like a little note of like what i think characters are doing or uh what the demons are doing um and then also like where where it's taking place but then so like i've got like those little notes and then megan goes and like makes it like a million times better than my notes um and you know like adds all these like really really awesome little nods to and hints and visual hints and things that i'm like oh my gosh i didn't even think of that um so it's it's just it's so much fun working with her and um like the work she does is, like absolutely amazing so very cool yeah it's, that's interesting it's almost as though you're layering the elements of that story and that's impressive to see because that's very rare that that happens so um has it been a challenge working in quarantine so megan and i uh worked remotely beforehand um we had one in-person meeting um so we're part of like the same friend group from japan too and we our group tries to have uh reunions like now that we're all back in the U.S., um, usually one in the summer and then like one in the spring, um, when we can, basically. Uh, so we went to Disneyland for spring break, like the week before it shut down, um, and. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, um, and so we megan and i stayed up late um when like the rest of our friends you know had gone to bed uh and we were really um trying to get our main scenes down um so we had a really we had a pretty general outline and that was like the and and then also talk a little bit about character design and that was the one time that we've had to work in person together um so the like yeah the rest is remotely uh we do have our uh meetings and check-ins on thursday nights um and we what we try to do is like we're kind of like okay i'm gonna try to get this done this week um and then like thursday access her check-in to be like okay where are you at with it um we are trying to get this done by the end of june for a contest uh so we're working faster right now than we probably would be otherwise um and also like a lot uh, a lot of uh a lot of it is on Megan's shoulders because she is the one who's doing all of the visuals. So she's, uh, you know, doing the sketches. She's doing the um, line art. She's also doing all of the shading and all of the coloring. 
and she's working in a new format. So um, because it's the contest on Webtoons, it's a scroll format. And she's used to working comics in, you know, a more traditional, um, like, box square format. Yeah, that was interesting because I was, you sent it to me and I was like, oh, this is, I'm scrolling through this comic. And it was a very interesting experience because I'm used to reading manga. But this was just a continuous scroll. It, was, it, it almost redefines the rules of comic books and graphic novels. Um, how have you adapted to that? So one of the um, key things, so I, I actually have been reading comics on Webtoons for a while. So, and Megan hadn't really read comics on Webtoons. So one of like the first things when she was first starting um, when I'd be reading some of the ones that I usually do, I'd like be taking screenshots and be like, hey, Megan, this thing here is like really cool. Or um, like, this is how they were doing the transition between scenes and uh, just kind of, uh, you know, sending her some things like for ideas. Um, and one of the things like when you're doing a squirrel comic that you have to keep in mind is you, you actively want people's eyes to be moving down the page. You don't want any like uh, chunks where their eye doesn't have, there isn't something that's drawing the eye to the next part. So, um, you know, having dialogue boxes and um, visual cues that, you know, brings the reader down um, has been, has definitely been something. So. Very cool. And then, so why do you, why do you write? Me? Why do I write? Hmm. I, I really love stories. And um, I think I do a lot of processing and interpreting of the world around me um, through stories. And it took me a long time to even get to writing. Um, I definitely had that like, oh, I, I can't be a writer, like, <laughs> type feeling um, into, like, sophomore year of undergrad. So um, I'm not one of those people that, like, you know, started writing when they were like five and knew they wanted to be a writer and like has all these stories and everything. Um, it took me a while and um, yeah, I just, I, I think in part it's because I'm an anthropologist slash archeologist. Um, I like humans. I like thinking about what humans do in certain situations. Um, you know, thinking about uh, how people live and cope in the world that they're in, how they understand the world that they're in. Um, yeah, and 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 um, in part, it's also like so that I can understand the world that I'm into. Right, and that's really it. oh, uh, we have a comment. How have you both grown to collaborate through long distance formats over the years, or more specifically during this extremely isolating quarantine? Um, so long distance formats like to work together. Um, 
a lot of what we do is so Megan uh, uses, uh, she'll do her art and then uh, post it into a, a web, like a webtoon portal page um, that's a draft. And then that allows me to read the draft um, once, once we have like all of the wording down. I write the script on a Google Doc which means that um, Megan can make comments here and there about uh, wording or uh, dialogue on stuff. Um, Megan doesn't really like touch it though. So if there's a change made in the actual script, I do, I do like the actual change, but Megan will, um, if there's something that like she'll comment on it or while we're, we'll be talking, over Facebook chat um, or Facebook Messenger for our Thursday night meetings, um, and yeah, we work we work through uh, like the distance that way. Um, so having like the scheduled time to work together, having goals to get done during the week, and even during the week, if Megan finishes a scene or something, she'll send it to me and be like, Rebecca. So, um, I think that actually, you know, helps, um, like the isolation, uh, cause Megan can always, you know, shoot me something. And if I'm thinking about something like I can shoot it back to her. So, um, yeah, yeah. That's kind of how we do that. It's, it's very incredible that, um, we have that technology to kind of communicate with each other, but, um, going back to, I guess, or I guess looking at how we communicate and how we interact as humans and how we're moving around and the networks that we use. Talk to us. So, I mean, cause you're an archeologist mm -hmm. and I think the common conception of an archeologist is Indiana Jones. Yes. <laughs> as you can see, I'm very Indiana Jones. <laughs> um, so, um, first off archeology, span we study humans, paleontologists study dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> I'm just making that like super clear right now. Cause uh, I like, even if I'm just talking to someone and they're like, oh, what do you do? And like, they could be a good friend. Um, and we're talking and they say something about dinosaurs. And then I'm just kind of like, oh. <laughs> um, so yes, I, uh, I study humans um, and I, yeah, I like ceramics and architecture. I do not like studying bones, especially human bone. That is not my thing. Um, I also don't like lithics. Lithics are stone tools. So like arrowheads, um, also not my thing. And I also don't like animal bone. So I also do not like fauna. <laughs> Um, so is the bone a, I mean, why bone, why not bones? And then also why not lithics? Um, so they just don't interest me. They're like, they're not the material that is my material of choice. Mm -hmm. Um, in archeology, span uh, what we do to create, uh, 
pictures of the past stories, archaeologists or storytellers, go figure, um, is we take all of these different uh, strings of data and we start braiding them together to make kind of one big picture and to get kind of like one trajectory of what likely happened. So um, human bone and animal bone are very important. There's a lot of things that they can tell us. Uh, human bone tells us about uh, human, how humans lived in the past, um, what their health was like, what their environments were like, um, because like the human body can tell a story. <laughs> Um, from like when you were born all the way to when you died. Uh, animal bone, super important. It can tell us what humans eat, like ate in the past. It can tell us how they were interacting with their environment. Um, it can tell us uh, like ecology. Um, so like also animal bone, very important. <laughs> um, and but the, those things, like, while those questions, like, the big questions, super awesome. Um, they're just, like, not my, they're, they're not, they're not what, like, makes me, like, ooh, um, when I'm doing research. Yeah. And um, it's really funny, because, like, when you do talk to an archaeologist, and you start talking about the thing that gets them really excited, like, you can tell. <laughs> um, you can, you can absolutely tell. And like, I'm friends with people who study stone tools and bones and things like that. Um, and, you know, we make these like little jabs and things at each other about it. Like, oh, your thing's not as cool as my thing. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like in the end, you do need all of that information to get a more solid picture um, of what happened in the past and like and to interpret uh what happened in the past um so, well, go ahead sorry yeah uh no sorry <laughs> all right so um what about ceramics and architecture excites you the most what are we learning from that so um ceramics ceramics in the southwest are um like it, it's one of the things that defines the Southwest. Uh, the painted pottery and the designs um, here are uh, are uh, pretty amazing. Um, and because of these designs, you like there's very specific places where uh, certain ceramic types are made in uh, the Southwest. So when you see a ceramic type not like in an area that is not where that ceramic is typically from. Um, you like archeologists can tell like, oh, so that ceramic had to get here somehow. Did it, did someone actually move and bring that pot with them? Uh, did someone trade the pot and um, like it moved down a line? So there wasn't a direct interaction between those people. Um, did the people that live at this site, did someone see that kind of pot and wanted to copy it? Um, so, like, there's a lot of different things that can be taken into consideration. And um, 
I just really love ceramics. Um, you can, like, there's so much that they can tell you. They can tell you about trade. They can tell you about uh, social practices. Um, so, like, if we're talking about feasting, um, you need, like, really big serving vessels uh, to be able to, um, you know, serve, like, a really large group of people. Um, and you can see that in the archaeological record, like, if there's, like, a lot of um, pots that are trashed and it's, like, right next to really big open space. And if they're really large um, for serving and cooking, um, then you might be like, that could be a spot where they were holding feasts. And feasts are uh, really important because that's where people, um, you know, solidify social ties, solidify ideologies and values of the culture that they live in. Um, and uh, you know, like each of those things I just said, you can write an entire dissertation on them. So, <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So the other thing I wanted to ask was, um, there's an interesting look at ceremonial versus practical ceramics. What's the difference and how can you tell? And okay. what do they tell us about the culture? Yeah. So, um, ceremonial versus practical. One of the things that immediately, if you're like talking practical and practical, we call utility because like, you know, utilitarian it's used. Um, so those are the things that you use usually for cooking, for storage, for, um, uh, water carrying. Um, so there are things that you use every day. And um, ceremonial, you might not be using them every day. And the painted ceramics, um, depending on like where you are, the paint itself could like be the indication of its ceremonial use. So for example, um, you, there's the Maverick Mountain series and the Mogollon Rim. So like right as you're coming off of the Colorado Plateau and going down, um, and then uh, you've got um, people who like came from the north, came down through that area and then potentially went into um, Eastern Arizona, um, down off the Mogollon Rim and what you see there is these really large vessels and they've got these painted designs on the outside. Um, and one of the things that uh, people talk about is that that's a form of signaling, like saying like, hey, I'm a part of this thing. Um, and uh, it lets like other people know uh, that as well. And um, so, they could have been used in ceremonies. Um, there's also uh, burial practices. Um, ceramics are used a lot in burial practices. Um, and uh, when 
when you're, you know, working around like mortuary rituals and things like that, sometimes, you know, these like everyday items, like everyday ceramics can become um, ceremonial. They can become something uh, greater than uh, like their everyday typical use. So like that is a line that's hard to, um, hard to make. But uh, a lot of it also has to do with the context in which um, the like bowls or the pots are found in. So if, if you find just a bowl and it has a bunch of um, maize or grain or something in it, which one that would be like super really like awesome because that would be awesome. But if it's just like a jar. <laughs> and it's just sitting in the corner but there's nothing like you know quote unquote special about it um that's that that probably just got left there um but on the other hand if you have like that same pot but there's you know like a hawk burial um like a hawk placed right by it and pigments like red and like ochre and things like that around it and the room it's in was ritually burned well then you're probably looking at something that's more along the lines of ceremonial but it's the it could be like the same pot um yeah so context very cool um and what about architecture um so architecture is awesome. I actually like looking at the empty spaces like between the architecture. Um, so like my thing is plazas and plaza space is like really awesome because um, it's an open space that can be used by everyone, typically is not like limited to people. Um, and it's a space of like interaction and um, integration uh, on a site. So like there's a lot of you know social stuff going on and it can go from like everyday people weaving or making pots to um to you know ceremonies happening there so and plazas are understudied in the southwest there hasn't been a whole lot of excavation done on them um and yeah plazas are awesome Architecture is also awesome because architecture can tell you, um, it can tell you about like how people lived and like how they divided their space and like viewed their space. So architecture is like built environment. People built their own environment and the environment then affects the ways that they move around it as well. So um if there's a portion that's walled off and there's only one way to get in then it's not easily accessible but if there's a you know a couple doors or something or a completely open space that's easy to get in then a lot of people can like move in and through there um and yeah there's like an entire literature on uh, built environment and how people interact with the buildings that they make. <laughs> so then you, so what's the, I apologize again. What 
is the importance of learning from the past. Why do we need to know how these people live? So the importance of learning from the past, um, you know, there's a lot of issues and problems and things today that uh, have been encountered before, like people have dealt with it. They, uh, like, for example, climate change, like there has, even if it's on a smaller scale and it's just like a regional change, like people have handled and dealt with uh, these changes in their environments before. Uh, and they've adapted to a lot of different things. And archaeology gives this like really long, uh, long-term and in-depth perspective on these really big questions that, um, that like, you can't get from, you know, the past, you know, couple, like thousands, thousand years plus of written, of written text. Um, there's places like China where they've got it longer, but I mean, there are people living in China before, before they came up with a writing system. Um, and also just like what it is to be human um in different times and in different places like what like what is it to be human in um ancient egypt during like ramesses the second reign um so yeah like there there's a lot about um how how to handle changes or like how people have handled changes um, or been affected by things that can be seen in the past. Um, and that's important. And it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's important. And if you ever hold an artifact that like someone a thousand or more than a thousand years ago also held like that connection over time is almost unexplainable and really cool. So. Awesome. So the other, I mean, beyond studying a culture, the opposite side, or I guess the, the next step would be to look at how are we presenting this information to the public? And that looks at museums. And you've worked in a museum, yeah. or several museums. And so can you talk about, you know, how does that work? What artifacts are we showing? Is there like bias? Are we choosing how we tell this story? And is it different from how it actually is? Okay, so one of the things is like when you're talking about presenting information to the public, there has to be a level of um, simplifying, like you want people to be able to understand it. And uh, I've done my best to not completely go like archaeology speak um, during this so far. But like, if I started talking about, like, the theory and like sourcing methods and um like 
the exact names of um, like ceramics and things, I would completely lose everybody. Um, so in a museum, it's really important to be able to relay the uh, main information and not lose the information that like we have. Um, sorry, <laughs> like it's important for um, to be able to relay the information in a way that the public can understand. Uh, so all of the like minute details that an archeologist um, or someone in a museum who has worked with that material for a really long time um, might be able to point out, the public isn't gonna like want to see that all the time. Um, and the other thing is, is people also want to hear a story. They want to be able to follow something, understand something, um, get a different perspective. And um, like people can tell different stories about the same artifact um, or the same, the same event uh, all the time. The question is, is like, if you're talking about uh, whether it's gonna be the view of the um, native people or whether it's gonna be like the view of the quote unquote scientist, um, like whose voice do you give uh, more weight to? Because we're like museums, museums were created uh, in uh, West, in Western, uh, European tradition. Um, and museums were created to show things that they like collected while they conquered. Um, because museums were based out of like, you know, um, oddity rooms. So like people would just, you know, collect all of these things if they were traveling and then put it all in a room and have nothing explained about the things. Um, and so Museums have come a long way from that, but at the same time, like there's still a lot more work to do. Um, and there's always, there's always gonna be more about an artifact um, that's on display than can actually be put on like the placard. Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, and there's always gonna be more in storage than there is out on display. <laughs> Yeah, you were telling me there was like, what, 10% or something? It's really small amount. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, then one of the other things that like what museum professionals have to do is decide uh, which artifacts are going to be put on display. And um, well, it depends on what the message that the exhibit is trying to get across. So in the exhibit that I worked on, um, it was trying to get across kind of like the quote-unquote normal or typical um, artifacts that would be found in certain areas. So when you're choosing uh, those artifacts, you have to decide whether uh, you've got um, whether you're going to put all of the like super rare, super awesome, like artifacts up or whether you're going to put up the ones that are representative more of the whole 
and aren't the exception. Um, you also have to take into consideration when you're talking about like archeological or very old historical artifacts, can they actually be um, put up safely and will it hurt the integrity of the item like because you don't want to put up a, a woven blanket if it's just going to fall apart because then you've destroyed part of the record right yeah so we have about one minute remaining rebecca thank you again so much um again uh plug for your advertise uh for your comic yeah so um uh, I'm on the Thursday Night Coffee comic um, Instagram. So if you go to our page, we've got a link to uh, our comic um, to each their own demons. Uh, we should be getting the next one, the next episode up in a couple of weeks, but the first one is up um, for everyone to read. Um, and thank you so much for having me on, Ethan. Yes, again, thank fun. you so much for coming on. Her work is really good. Um, check it out. Um, thank you again for tuning in. We will see you next week for another live.